I'm Jay, an arts manager, educator, writer, musician, and professional daydreamer. And I'm Miguel, a musician, arts administrator, educator, and lover of all things nerdy. And this is Play Black, a podcast dedicated to nerddom, reviews, and hot takes on arts and culture, and the human experience from the perspective of two melanated artists. This episode of Play Black is a breakdown, meaning that the conversation will be a bit deeper and that we'll be sharing more of our personal experiences. The goal of Play Black is to create a space, a brave space for connecting, sharing, and honesty. We invite you to join us in honoring each other and holding each other up as we navigate complex thoughts and feelings. In other words, no bigotry, trolling, or toxicity, please, and thank you, you toxic folks. I'm kidding. Y'all are great. But first, before we really get into it, sure. uh, let's catch up. What's something that brought you joy lately? Something that brought me joy lately. Um, ooh, uh, ooh, Yeba's new album. Yeba finally dropped an album. Ooh, um, I think it was playing with us, folks. She she been playing. Um, she finally dropped one. Uh, I've been watching a lot of anime and movies lately. Um, and I just started a reading challenge. So, yeah, there's some good books. I'm gonna work my way through. That's. What's brought me joy? What's brought you some joy, Miguel? Uh, my dog. <laughs> uh, we just moved, um, and we were expecting our pup. His name is Scooter, by the way, for y'all, y'all listeners. He's a, a, a terrier mix of some sort. Um, he, his papers don't say Pitbull, but there's definitely some Pitbull in there. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad his papers don't say that, so you know we don't have any restrictions on him. Hmm. Um, but he. We were expecting him to like really have a rough time with this move because mm-hmm. uh, he had never known another home with us uh, than where we were. But he has adjusted beautifully and he's really starting to mature. And yesterday was his birthday. Aww. Yeah, we got him like a like a, a bone uh, dog treat That's that was cute. huge and massive. And so he's a and, Virgo. How does the zodiac come up in dogs? Like. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I legitimately couldn't tell you. <laughs> but, uh, I will say this. Uh, my little bud is a menace, but I love him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's great. He's really great. Okay, so uh, the breakdown. Um, I'm just a spoonful of sugar. Helps the medicine go down. Part of why I love comic book stories, fiction narratives, and animes, because more than you think, They are out here teaching us lessons, y'all. Growing up, it was easy to see Xavier and Magneto as Malcolm and Martin. There was a Teen Titans episode that was basically about the N-word and other racial slurs. These writers are sneaking some deep shit in there, and this first batch of shows in the MCU are no different. From exploring the complexities of Blackness in America, to grief, to change, to quite literally confronting yourself, the MCU, with varying levels of, of success, has been taking some pretty big swings. Indeed. So today we'll be talking uh, about Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, What If, and WandaVision. And Miguel, you've seen all of 
all of Loki, all of WandaVision, an episode of What If, and a couple episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier, half, right? About half? Yeah, half. Um, I, I just ended uh, where Bucky meets with one of the uh, Dormelage uh, from Wakanda. Oh, good episode. Um, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's killer. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. But yeah, I, I'm not completely caught up, but I've seen enough to participate in, in what we're going to be talking about today, for sure. And we will try to keep it spoiler-free, folks, so that we don't ruin it for Miguel. So Loki. Loki uh, had themes of anger, growth, changing your narrative and telling the truth about yourself. As we talked about in last week's podcast, you know, we said that Loki kind of saw all of his shit laid bare, right? And um, really had to take a good, honest look at who he was, what motivated him, how he showed up in the world, how people perceived him. Um, And it was a lot for our guy. You know what I mean? Like he saw his death. Um, He had that weird loop with Lady Sif. And I think Mm -hmm. we started to see a Loki that had been humbled a little bit, which happens sometimes when you get smacked in the face with truth, man. Um, So I guess the first question is, What's the last hard truth you had to tell yourself? Oh, the last hard truth I had to tell myself um, was that I needed help. Mm. Um, I think uh, as young uh, POC men, Mm -hmm. um, we're kind of, trained youngish you know, we're, we're we're starting to feel the age a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, we, we are kind of trained to kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps it's also mm-hmm. i think i would say kind of an american thing as well sure. you just figure it out like no one's going to help you you got to figure it out um and i have always tried to be as self-sufficient as possible mm-hmm. um and you know I really hit a wall, as I think most people did during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I started to ask for help. Mm. Um, and it was hard for me. You know, I, uh, I've, ha- I've had a lot of uh, injuries in my life, mm. uh, and I was really stubborn about not going to go see the doctor. Sure. Right. Um, but, you know, I have some back issues, and I was like, you know, if I'm going to keep doing my career as a musician, like if mm. I'm going to keep being a professional, mm. I'm going to have to take care of my body and I can't do that by myself anymore. Mm. So, you know, I started to see a chiropractor. Um, I was struggling with some mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going to start seeing a therapist and, mm-hmm. you know, talk through some of this stuff. Uh, maybe even see a psychiatrist and see what the all, you know, all the Im- imbalances are, mm-hmm. you know, and that's hard for me. That's really hard for me. Um, advocating for myself uh, in the bureaucracy of higher education sure. and saying, no, I deserve this. Uh, mm-hmm. And can you help me, please, mm-hmm. uh, has been really hard for me. And that's that's a, a hard truth that I'm still figuring out uh, how to tell myself every day that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Um, what would you say uh, is <sighs> a, a truth you had to tell yourself, Jay? Honestly, it's it's super similar to yours. It's it's pretty much the asking for help thing too. You know, I was with my friends a week ago and they all came at my life a little bit, 
<laughs> in the best way. Uh, and it was really that, you know, I, I know why I am the way that I am. Um, because as you said, you know, there's, there's some trauma responses. There's this thing about self-sufficiency. And I am coming to a place where I know that to elevate in the next chapter of my life, it requires a certain level of vulnerability and I'm not willing to give it. I know that, mm. I, but I sense and understand in myself that I don't want to do it. And the more I like ask myself why, the more like shit comes up. And so, um, you know, my friends were saying, my, my best friend got me a gift. Uh, for my birthday and it was a pillow with like some photos of us but the there's also the phrase of lean on me and it felt like an indictment of just like you know people feeling like I don't lean on them enough and yes one part of that is vulnerability but for two one thing I told them was just like I would say the two biggest like issues that I had psychologically in my life was feeling alone and misunderstood um and then just feeling like I had to do everything myself. Because again, like growing up as an only child, I did. Like there were so many times where it was me that got me out of shit. Like I'm the constant. And it's really having my people, I told them undid that first thing. Like now I know I'm not alone and I feel seen and I feel understood and that's great. And honestly, that does like so much for me that like, I don't usually ask for anything else because I'm just like, you don't even understand how just that has like solved a lot. Mm. And it's mm -hmm. really more that like now I don't even know how people could help me. You know what I mean? Yeah. In my yeah. role as an executive director, like I've had to learn delegation and I have, and I've learned how to break up a task and do blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, but this life stuff, I just, I don't know what that looks like. And so I wouldn't even know where to begin to like say, help me here. Um, so yeah, like you doing that therapist research, <laughs> those directories. Um, because yeah, I think when you get to this age, you wanna be around. There's a lot of dreams and goals we have um, and making sure that we have a life worth living, a life that you know has some joy in it means that we gotta do some work and clean out under the hood and in my life right now, I am fine. I'm fine. Um, but I could be better. And that means that I have work to do. So that was that was a hard truth that again, like you, I'm in the midst of yeah. dealing with and exploring and uncovering. So yeah. Uh, you, you said something there that 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 spoke to kind of this the greater theme of Loki. Mm -hmm. Um uh, you were the constant. Mm -hmm. You are always accountable to yourself um, because of it just being you. Um, I, I have a, a, an older uh, brother who I, I love dearly and helped me in so many ways. Hmm. But uh, when I was coming into my own as a, uh, like a teenager and young adult, um, he was away, he was uh, gone. So it was, it was just me. So I, in, an, in an interesting way, I had uh, a bit of that experience at a critical time of, hmm. of, of, of growth. So. Mm -hmm. I really feel that um, our, we have a character who is also a constant within himself, Loki, mm -hmm. who is really uh, having to take a really hard look at himself mm -hmm. through these other variants. Mm -hmm. um, and he's really perceiving 
who he thought he was yeah. and who he actually is. Yeah. Like it, like, like in, in facts, like who mm-hmm. he actually is. Like what's uh, one difference between how you mm-hmm. uh, are perceived and who you actually are? It's all a fucking can of worms. Uh, <laughs> I think, oof. Wow, being personal already. The last person I dated, um, there was a breakdown that happened. It wasn't anything dramatic or anything like that. But they perceived me as somebody who, and this comes up in work a lot and even in like my relationships a lot. People tend to think that I am um, this very confident you know, semi-aggressive, um, very outspoken kind of person all the time. Mm-hmm. And there are aspects of that that are true. Um, but also true is that like, I can be socially awkward. I can be insecure. And so I think what that person was attracted to <clears throat> was that strength, was that um, directness, was that uh, outgoingness. But the more we knew each other, and the more I showed other facets of myself, um, including my softness, <clears throat> I think it just warped some things for them. And that wasn't what they had been looking for. Mm. Um, and upon reflection, I'm, I'm not angry, but it's just more that like, it illuminated for me the need to make sure that I'm with someone that allows me to be all that I am, um, that lets all of those things be true because particularly like in relationships, I feel like so much of my life is about being that guy at work in the band, I'm the director, right? Like in, in my, even my writing, like I'm in charge of that. And so there's a lot that I'm in charge of in my life and that I have to run in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't always have the energy to do that in my personal life, right? And it's just like, I want the freedom to be all that I am. Um, and that's important to me. Um, so yeah, I would say that's that's a big one. And again, like, you know, we just had some interns come in and some of them said that I was intimidating and mysterious. So like, it's a thing. And I've it's really only been since college um, that I've been labeled this way. Um, someone once said that um, I am what they imagined God would be like. And, right? Like No pressure. Sent me. <laughs> I went home and I cried. I was just like, who do these people think that I am? Like, oh I God. Am you? Person, um, yeah, like that shit haunted me for a while. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know what it is um, with that perception, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I would say that's that's a big one. I think I am um, a lot softer and weirder than most people, I think, would imagine. What about you? Oh well, you know, I'm in the middle. I'm in a lot of transition in my life. Mm-hmm. you know um and i think uh what i do has always been a big part of my identity and when there's a shift in what i'm doing like every single day uh i kind of struggle with mm-hmm. who i am as a mm-hmm. as a person because i had put so much into uh that thing that i was doing like when when i was uh working full time uh at uh in a nonprofit that's just that's just what I did. It was who I was, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I wasn't engaging with other parts of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really, right? 
so I'm in the situation now where I'm I'm uh, I'm in grad school, mm-hmm. and you know that I'm older. I'm significantly older than a lot of my classmates, mm-hmm. um, and we're just they're great. They're wonderful musicians and uh, people, but they're also in very different phases of their lives. Sure. You know, um, so I actively don't know how they perceive me. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's something I think about sometimes. Like, um, am I the old man to them, or because I look fairly young, black on crack? Uh, <laughs> um, do they perceive me as uh, one of one of them? Mm. I do not feel like one of them, mm. um, and. I think part of that is in my head mm. uh, and I need to uh, get out of it because at the end of the day, we're all there to make some music mm-hmm. uh, and make music together in, a, in an authentic way. Do you feel like they're a group that you're not a part of, like in terms of like camaraderie? Like, do you like, are they friends? Are they hanging out? Are they a thing or is it just? Uh, I think I other myself a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, like I think they want to, um be college students they want to be mm-hmm. 21 22 year old college students which mm-hmm. means like late nights not super um i'm not going to say responsible because like mm-hmm. they're you know but they're i guess i have a lot more responsibilities sure. um that i'm constantly taking care of right i'm uh i help kind of just manage my parents yeah. uh i uh I have a. I live with my partner of yeah. almost six years, right? Like uh, we, I have, I have a dog, <laughs> you know, uh, that uh, relies on uh, us. Uh, uh, I have a niece, and she's like a beautiful human that I want to be. I want to be uh, in her life, mm. um, you know. So it's like I, I would love to hang, and like I, I think about like yo, I should. We should have people over. Then I think like, what are we gonna do? Like, what are we gonna talk about? There's not a ton of common ground. Mm. Um, that you know of though that I know of, that's true see I, I put up the barrier right mm-hmm. I'm putting up the barrier so mm-hmm. I think um, I just need to uh, um, not worry about how I'm being perceived as mm-hmm. much um, and just show them who I am authentically and if they're not into it then they're not into it and if they are they are everyone I've uh, met and uh, like spoken with uh, through my graduate program has been super nice and mm. very sweet. Uh, there have definitely been some people who are in a similar situation to me. They're mm. uh, a, a, a bit uh, like, uh, older and have been in their careers a bit longer. And we, we always gel. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I don't think I necessarily answered the question, but I think that's where I'm at right now. You know. Mm. So you're not sure how you're perceived is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know how I'm perceived in other situations, and I'm I'm very I'm fairly similar to you, Jay. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks see me as charismatic, on it, responsible, like knows what to do, decisive, mm-hmm. and I feel like none of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I once someone told me that I can talk or charm anybody, uh, and I don't feel that way. You, you know what's interesting, actually. The more aware of how the uh, color of my skin or my or, or me just being a male, mm-hmm. the more I perceive how that impacts interactions, sure. the more nervous I've become, especially mm-hmm. around like 
rich white folks. Sure. <laughs> I used to, I used to, when I was a, an undergrad, I used to play all these parties uh, for, again, these rich white folks because they mm -hmm. pay money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I would, I could charm their pants off. I could mm -hmm. do like, uh, you know, I could, I was just a really confident person. Mm -hmm. But the more I, I started to see the microaggressions and the more I, I started to see all the differences in class and the more I started to like understand why yeah. th those systems were in place, yeah. the more uncomfortable I got in those interactions. Yeah. It was super interesting. Um, related to that, I, uh, like last week, um, was hanging out with a friend of mine and her birthday was coming up and I was just kind of like, you know, I shared an appreciation post for our friendship. And I ended it with, you know, you're like one of the realest niggas I know. Mm -hmm. And uh, on my Facebook, on my Instagram are a lot of like my professional peers, a whole lot of white people. Um, and I kept going back and forth. I was like, do I write that? Do I not write that? Yeah. No, do I say that? I don't work for anybody, right? So it's not like I can be fired, um, <laughs> but I don't know. It was like really, it triggered some mild anxiety of just like, what are they going to think when they read that? And then for me, ultimately what it was, was just like, this is a word that I use. It's yeah. a word that they don't get to control or make me feel weird about. Right. They have to deal with that. But yeah, just like thinking through that interaction, it adds a layer. It for sure adds a layer. of these like uh layers of representation mm -hmm. right uh i had a, a lot of thoughts in while watching loki mm -hmm. um about representation specifically queer representation sure um because uh both loki and sylvie mm -hmm. uh were established as uh bisexual folks mm -hmm. um and i don't know I really want to hear what you have to say, but like I'll, I'll say this: mm -hmm. um, as someone who's like like I I do I do not identify as queer, but mm -hmm. uh, I have many friends in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. um, my, my my partner is queer. Mm -hmm. uh, I I feel like they did the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, like it, it it was a a mention that Loki might go both ways, right? And that's was it and i was like okay like are you gonna show right like, <laughs> like are you gonna like it i i feel like for me something i i love about me as in media is when people show me stuff they don't yeah. tell me stuff they show yeah. me stuff they show mm -hmm. me what's going on mm -hmm. all they just told me left it there and said pride month yay right <laughs> like uh how did you feel about it as a a, a, a bi man yourself yeah you know <laughs> Representation in general is such a such an issue, and I think, you know, we love this genre in particular, sci-fi fantasy, and it's something that unfortunately there's not a lot of uh, black representation in. Mm -hmm. And then you know you get into queer representation, even less so. You get into bi representation, even less so. And it's so interesting to me because these are the stories that are the most wild and free and 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 you know diverse and open in a way. And it's just always been interesting to me how non-inclusive they are. Yeah, I feel the same way you do. And honestly, I have a rule where if I don't see it, I, it's not real. Um, it's just you saying no. this to me. 
Um, and they've done that a lot with just like, not even saying it in the movie, but the actor would be like, oh yeah, so-and-so is such and such. And it was like, that means nothing. <laughs> means that you're just those are just words and like mm -hmm. if i can go and watch the thing and not see evidence of that then fuck that like no and so i i think i think it's one of those things where you know there are not a lot of queer people in power or queer people writing these stories or queer people producing these stories um and as such it feels to them like a really big step to have Sylvie and Loki say in a conversation, you know, yeah, a few princes, a few princesses, -doop -doop. and it's just like, really? Okay, like, <laughs> again, that means nothing because if we get to sit through 10 years of films, 20 something films where you are showing love and relationships and physical chemistry and physical attachments and you don't do that in a queer way but everyone feels like oh they're drowning us in the gate and i'm like house way we get a conversation <laughs> at a coffee table y'all have decades like actual love stories you know what i mean right. and so that's a bullshit argument and you know i'll take it i guess they're starting but like I also am annoyed that there's like a diversity wave that the MCU was on, right? They were like, let's start cis, white, het. And then now in this fourth phase, <laughs> let's go outside the lines a little bit. Let's, hey, here's a woman. <laughs> oh, yeah, here's here's a what? bisexual. Oh, you know what I mean? And it's just like, okay, I wish that these just would have been more natural stories in earlier storylines, but it's tough because you know you want it to happen and you're glad that it's happening while right. also wanting more from what's happening so exactly yeah. like I, I, I feel like a lot of folks when they hear that kind of uh, argument they're like why can't you just like be okay with what you got and like right. i'm not saying what we got is bad that's great mm -hmm. that um uh, loki is uh by uh, is confirmed as bisexual canon mm -hmm. that's great they just could have done it better <laughs> like, like when when you care about something, you yeah. critique it. Like you can, you, you should critique it because you want it to be as good as possible. And when but will it, we see that? You know what I mean. Even just thinking about storylines, you know, then he made out with Sylvie and fell in love with himself, right? And so it's just like that's going to be a whole chapter. And it's like we'll never see evidence of that probably in this story. And so it's just, yeah. I mean, even the Sylvie like reveal, even the the fact that they revealed that that there was a, a Loki variant that was a woman that was causing all, 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 all these issues. It felt like it was such a momentous moment. Like, oh my God, it's a woman. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Of yeah. course, there are uh, thousands of universes mm -hmm. and thousands of Loki var uh, mm -hmm. variants or unlimited amounts even, right? Of course, there's going to be one that's a woman. <laughs> there's, there are probably hundreds of thousands of them <laughs> that yeah. are women. And it felt like uh, it, it was like for the mainstream audience, the 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 like white cis hat like mm -hmm. audience that, that they're going for. It was a big deal that she was right. a woman, right? And like that's great that she is, but it's also like we can. It's twenty twenty one, y'all. It's twenty twenty one. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a lot. So, uh, I mean, going down this rabbit hole about representation, right, we get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we both spoke about how we were surprised they went there, right? Like, mm -hmm. Falcon is a Black man, and, um, you know, the MCU 
in Black Panther, they talked about blackness, right? They did, but that makes sense because it's the black movie about the Africans, right? <laughs> um, and all of a sudden now though, in the more, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but like out, outside of Wakanda stories, in a lot of ways, those characters aren't, confr- aren't confronting like blackness. And so for such a large theme in the show to be, Falcon's mm-hmm. blackness, and in particular, how difficult it is for a black man to take on the mantle of something like Captain America was very surprising that they were that honest and true. Yeah, I, I feel like, again, it's like halfway there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't think if Disney didn't think this would make the money that they would mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying that they did this in bad faith or mm-hmm. anything like that, because um, it's important to have those stories out there. It was really interesting to me. It, the, homie is a superhero, and he can't get a a, a, a loan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, homie is a superhero, and he still gets stopped by the police. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and his outrage at there having been a black super soldier. Like, all of those things were really important and wonderful to see on screen and to be blasted out to, again, a mainstream audience that's probably Mm -hmm. definitely more white, male, Mm -hmm. uh, cishet, right? Mm -hmm. So that's great. Um, And I'm not done with the series. I don't know how they landed the plane necessarily. Um, But yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting it. It was nice to see. I hope that they continue with it sure. and really continue the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but represent, I mean, representation matters. So yeah, speaking about the loan moment, right? Where Homeboy's a whole Avenger and cannot get a loan. <laughs> First off, needs a loan. Secondly, can't get a loan. Um, you know, we hear as people of color, particularly as men of color, that we have to be twice as good, right? To go half as far. Falcon cannot have done anything more he not only has saved America, he has saved literally the universe. He is an Avenger <laughs> that has saved the fucking universe and homeboy can't get alone, right? So like that at the same time wasn't surprising to us, right? What was surprising was like, oh, y'all telling this truth on Disney Plus for white people to see? Oh, right? <laughs> but not like, oh, what? He can't get it, right? So, I mean, have you ever like operated under that paradigm of like having to work twice as twice as hard and and feel as particularly as a black man 100 percent um and i think uh i stopped working under that paradigm when i started to encounter like mental health issues Mm. because of it right i was trying to be the man i was trying to be this person um uh and, and what was messing me up was that I was trying to be perceived as that person and not necessarily doing the work to actually be that person. Interesting. Um, so once I kind of got away from trying to be perceived um, as the person who has it down, the mm-hmm. overachiever, the, 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 the one that's going to make it, mm-hmm. um, I started to do the work. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more helpful to me 
uh, and I'm a happier person, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, like my goals used to be like always to the top, to the top, to the top, like gotta be the best, do the best, make it happen. Mm-hmm. And now my goals are just to be happy. Mm. Uh, and I, I think I'm a better person for it. Uh, and I would, I, I would believe that most of my, um, colleagues and friends and family would uh, also say the same. Yeah. Um, you are a whole ass executive director, mm-hmm. uh, for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're an overachiever, but like, do you think that it was because of this, we have to be better or it was it more just your own self-motivation? I think my having founded Dunamis and running Dunamis was not motivated by that. I think for me, there were some things that I wanted to see in the world that didn't exist in the world. And I said, well, then I'm going to make them. I think that's where that came from. I do think, however, that sometimes as an ED around other EDs, like there are not many EDs of color. Um, in our field in particular, a lot of these EDs are women um, and a lot of them are older. And so for me, I felt like I was coming in as a young black man and there have definitely been times where, you know, I police myself or at least I'm confronting what I think are perceptions about me. And what's really tough I think growing up in like a liberal bastion, right? Um, is that sure you might get discriminated against, but more often than not, you're tokenized, right? It's like this, yeah. this weird elevation that comes. And then you always wonder like, am I being elevated because of the contents of my character or because I've done a really good thing here or because I'm a person of color, right? Yeah. And, and that becomes messy. You know, growing up, I did a lot of theater. Um, and musical theater. And a lot of the time, since I did that in white neighborhoods, um, it was like, well, yeah, let's give Jay all the rivy parts and let's give Jay all the black parts or the soul parts, you know, because mm-hmm. black person. I remember I really wanted to do, we were doing the producers and I really wanted to be one of the leads. I felt like I could do it. I yep. auditioned for it. And I was given three characters, uh, the black cop, um, the accountant that sings... Um, like the slave song in the beginning. So he oh, like, Jesus. yeah. And I didn't even know it in the movie, but like there's a, there's a song called I Want to Be a Producer. And in the, in the stage version, there's um, an account that goes, oh, I debits all the morning and I credits all the evening until them letters be right. And like literally as the only black person in the ensemble, I understood that only I could have this role. Um, but yeah, I felt like I wasn't allowed to compete, right? I wasn't allowed yeah. to, to get the other thing because I had to be the black guy. There was this, so there, there was more of that, right? Um, than anything else that's still, still messy, still tough. Um, but like you said, I think once you start living life for yourself and what you need um, and the value in life becomes for you to be authentic and to be joyful, um, I think that frees you up from a lot of shit. Um, and then also you surround yourself with, because yes, I do have to be in a field that's rife with older, wealthier, whiter people, but my team, that's people of color. 
right? Like my, yeah. my circle. Um, I think it's important to still have connections to your community as you navigate um, these things, because that's where you can breathe. That's where you have that shorthand where people just get it. So, yeah. 100%. Um, and you know, speaking of like being uh, a person of color in very white spaces, like mm-hmm. Falcon has two white like partners mm-hmm. <laughs> that he's working with. Mm-hmm. Don't have any idea what it's like to be a black man or a person of color in America, right? Yeah. And it's, it's something that, actually, that Bucky actually apologized for. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, I didn't know, right? <laughs> Which I is really interesting. It. My bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, but it's also really interesting, right? Because homie was like alive during World War II, right? right. He, so he must have seen some like not the microaggression racism we we got going on right mm-hmm. now, but like like some some blatant shit, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so have you experienced that? Um, personally, professionally, folks apologizing. Like I know I have. I'm curious. Yes. <clears throat> um, and I mean, I'll tell this story about one of our teams. So, um, uh, one, I do want to say that I thought it was what was interesting to me about that whole buggy cap Falcon dynamic was Cap tried to pass this mantle on. And I think he was completely unaware of what he was doing in the position he was putting Falcon in. Completely yes. unaware. And then when Bucky resented Falcon for struggling with it, he was completely unaware of the position that Falcon was in. And so I'm glad that he apologized for that. But it just goes to show that, like, you know, I, I think honestly, it's one of those things where they were like, oh, I don't even see color. I just, you're, you're Sam. And it's one of those things that's just like, not helpful, not helpful, <laughs> because I am a Black person. And you right. erasing that is not a sign of like equality and normalcy. It's when you see me fully as who I am, including my blackness and still love me and still show up for me and still believe I'm worthy of everything you're worthy of. That is the true peace, not you not seeing how my experience is different. Um, and so in regards to that, you know, when we were hiring, we were a team of three for a long time. Um, and it's me, black woman and a Latinx woman. And we had people of color applying, we had white people applying and we ended up choosing a white woman for, for our team. And it, it gave us some serious pause. And we were really just thinking about like, it means a lot for us to be BIPOC founded and led. Um, our work specifically is with BIPOC identifying people. Obviously we include other people in there, but they are our primary mission. And so we thought a lot about that, but um, we had a moment where we just put up this festival. Miguel played in the festival and he killed it. <laughs> and we were producing this festival for the first time. And we, as we were debriefing, we had two instances of racism that we had to deal with as a team that had come up mm. um, during the festival, which was unsurprising because although it was our first year producing it, that festival, I think that was the seventh year um, and it happens in a particular community um, that is divided racially. It's pretty segregated. Yes. And part of the design of the festival is to kind of integrate fully these communities and have them appreciate each other more and to break down those barriers. So we were not surprised at the incidents of racism. Unfortunate, disappointing. We were happy that there were only two. And so as we were talking about how to deal with the situation and we said, we, one, we're gonna like not have these people be involved next year. 
but we also decided that we had to tell them that that we needed to have a conversation mm. because we take the fact that we champion again artists of color seriously and to not have that conversation is to kind of let them down in that way sure but you know as we're talking about how to do that our white staff person says i feel like i should be the one to have this conversation because why mm. should you all have to subject yourself to like to educate and teach these people this thing right and so i feel like in that way that is allyship right that is someone fully understanding and perceiving and saying let me use my whiteness and the privilege that comes with that institutionally socially whatever to navigate in this way so it's not a burden for you anymore and i i think now maybe that might be something that bucky can do moving forward but for sure, I, I don't think that neither Cap nor Bucky understood that enough to be able to do that in that way. And it's sad because we all know how Falcon feels, that loneliness that he must feel to some degree yeah. um, because they just don't get it. His two closest friends, right? So, right. Oh, wow. Very long that's... answer to that question. No, but thank you for sharing that story because that's 100% the way to go about it, I think. Um, you know, in a more like restorative justice mm-hmm. accountability model, mm-hmm. just like here's here's the line you crossed, um, and here's why I'm doing this. Like, please apo- like apologize, <laughs> like, like give back to uh, the community that you you harmed. Mm-hmm. Understand where everything was, and then we both grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not about punitive punishment. You know, like mm-hmm. I I don't think we can get along in this country if we aren't able to have conversations with each side. And those are courageous conversations. Your teacher is showing. Like, (laughs) um, but the folks that have access to privilege Mm. should definitely help and step up Mm. uh, where they can. Um, And that doesn't mean that all white people are awful or any any of those things that, you know, uh, folks on the right might uh, shove into our mouths <laughs> um, but uh, it means that we need your help to make this better yeah. um, you know we were we were, we were talking through like uh, uh, these notes and I, I saw this question uh, and I, I I remembered um, all the calls uh, I got from white friends uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests mm-hmm. after the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a little shocking. Well, mm-hmm. two two things. One, um, my name is Miguel. Obviously, I have <laughs> um, a, 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 a Spanish Latino like mm-hmm. uh, background, um, but I was born here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I identify as Afro Latino because I experienced parts of the uh black experience because i was not always uh or i was often perceived as uh, a, a black person so i experienced mm-hmm. those uh th- things and uh, mm-hmm. obviously the history of dr mm-hmm. there are african roots there if you, mm-hmm. if you eat plantains you're probably black <laughs> there it is um secondly like uh i got to find out in real time who perceived me as oh as a puppy uh, who perceived me as uh, black and who didn't <laughs> which was really uh, interesting it was really 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 interesting wow. um, and folks just apologizing and like some folks were doing it in good faith and others were on a guilt trip 
um, if we're being honest. You know? Trying to absolve themselves as opposed to be there for you. It, that experience really um, made me confront how I felt uh, about some allyship and how I felt about performative allyship. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how I was going to move forward uh, with some of those relationships yeah. and, and how much I valued the folks that were really coming at me with good, with good faith and yeah. were, didn't know mm-hmm. uh, what we go through on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I love those people. Um, and I do love having been born here. We have opportunities mm. that our parents never did. Yeah. Um, it's 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 fascinating, but sometimes the places we love don't really love us back. Tell me about an experience um, in which you like you love something, but it just it just didn't love you back. Like Falcon, because homie loves America. He served. <laughs> he served in every single capacity. Homie can't get along. Yeah, country doesn't love him back. What? Um. Wow, it's a tough one. Um. Yeah, I think the the most I've seen it come up, sad as it is to say, is in my artistry and in the art that I consume. I think um, growing up, I was constantly subconsciously looking for myself in some of this work and I didn't see it. And then I internalized, I think the the hard truth, if we talk about hard truths, for a while, I think I definitely not, I think, I suffered from uh, some internalized racism growing up. And, you know, I was born in Boston, but then I left and I grew up in Connecticut for seven years and then I moved back. And I remember I had to go to this like social justice camp for a week. And before that social justice camp, you know, people would call me an Oreo. I was kind of proud to be called an Oreo. I had like because I was always extra. I made like a little certificate saying that I was an Oreo that I just carried around in my wallet. Um, I thought we were in a post-racial society. I was like, this is a thing. Um, And then that week happened. I was like, Uh, so it was so much about that week was great. Um, But, you know, the older I got, the blacker I got. Mm. And I began to just understand some things I had internalized. And I think one thing that changed for me was my junior year of college, uh, my dorm was a house, it was a townhouse and was shared with uh, five other people of color. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I think it was the first time I had realized, especially on that campus that was full of so many white people, it was kind of like the first time I felt like I could exhale. We all got it. It was just, we all got it. And there was so much we didn't have to do and we didn't have to hear, you're my first black friend or like, what does that mean? Or how do you say that? Or like, 
I've never seen that before. You know what I mean? Or like, I just ate the curry chicken you made, but I have to shit now. Like that, like it was just so much. Tell me you didn't say that. Yes, oh my God, yes. It was like, God. oh, your food is spicy. I was like, go away, right? But then being with people who grew up on your food, right? Who eat your food and don't have to shit. It was just one of those times where you did not realize how much you had to perform or educate or protect yourself from where you were. Um, and then I remember I had this moment where I was working on the book and I was thinking about, you know, the racial diversity of the cast. And I, I had a moment where I was like, oh, this person should be black. But then I realized if I made that person black, um, that person has a lot of family in the story. And I was like, oh my God, if I make that one person black, then all of a sudden the majority of the cast of this book is black. And I remember actually saying, that's too many black people. Ooh. That's a lot to unpack right there. Uh, that's a lot to unpack right there. <laughs> and after I said it, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold on a minute. And it was truly because never had I experienced a story, sci-fi fantasy with a majority black cast. It just wasn't a thing. And I could not in that moment perceive it. And it felt like I had broken a rule. And then it took me a couple seconds until I was like, oh, we fucking doing this. And now like <laughs> it's set on an HBCU the first one, right? So like now I've leaned in, right? But. I really had to like sit with that moment and, and, and see what I had said. So yeah, I would say for me, mostly as an artist, um, consuming that art. And like I said earlier, just being the black one, right? In, in, in almost every artistic space that I was in. Um, and, and now so much so that like low key, I, I kind of left theater behind. I left musical theater behind and yeah. I now don't enjoy it unless I do it with other people of color. Like when we did The Haunt, when we did that show we did, mm -hmm. it just felt so different. Oh, it felt great. It felt so amazing. And I was just like, this is what I want. I just, this is it. So yeah. Now you as a musician, I'm sure. And as a pianist, um, I can only imagine some of the things that you've experienced in this way. Oh, I mean, I definitely got the, the Oreo comment growing up. Uh, I definitely, um, you know, there were a lot of, uh, especially like early on in college before I kind of came into myself, like I was confident and uh, I was put in leadership positions um, a lot uh, and folks would compare to me to MLK. Mm. <laughs> like, uh folks would say you're 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 latino or whatever but you're 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 white you're a classical pianist like what are you doing and it's like mm. you know and like that stuff is it's it's stuff you brush off mm -hmm. right because you have to right there's the, the you, if you dwell on every single microaggression you're eventually just gonna be paralyzed um but you know looking back i'm like oh <laughs> that was gross Ew. it was really it was just not fun at all, but um, you know, I'll, I'll say that I'll, I'll take it from a different angle. Uh, I am often not Dominican enough for mm. people that are actually from the island. Mm. <laughs> you know, like I'm fluent in Spanish. Uh, I read and write decently 
fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I'm like I'm a, an American kid. Yeah. Like I I grew up here, and mm-hmm. and I I kind of hold a lot of those values. So yeah. on both ends, it's like so I'm 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 not uh, black enough <laughs> in, in, in some cases. Uh, I'm not Dominican enough. Um, and a lot of the things that I do uh, have been co-opted by white. I'm a jazz musician, yeah. literally like an African American art form. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm in school with mostly white people. Right. <laughs> Most of my colleagues are white folks mm-hmm. uh, who have uh, co-opted this uh, this beautiful art form. I'm not saying that uh, white jazz musicians shouldn't be allowed, mm-hmm. um, but it just shows like how I've always kind of split four or five different ways yeah. on how to be. Um, and I, since I've stopped kind of trying to fit a role and just be myself, I've definitely been a lot uh, happier and mm-hmm. uh, can thrive in the pieces of my blackness and mm-hmm. my uh, Latinidad and my uh, just being born um, in this really weird place called Massachusetts. <laughs> Uh, the final word comes to us this week from a guy you might have heard of. Some people know him, some don't. I'm joking. It's William Shakespeare. Um, and he says, give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak knits up the oar, rot heart, and bids it break. The overwrought heart and bids it break. Um, life is hard, y'all. And for some of us, connecting with others was already difficult before a global pandemic came on the scene. Uh, I promise you that it's almost always worse to hold your pain in. Find someone you trust and let it out. Let it breathe. If you don't want to tell the folks you know, then take a step towards therapy, like the two of us that we're about to do. And if you've got no one else, you've always got us. Show up for your peoples, yo. <laughs> like, check on your strong friends, like your emotional friends, all your friends, and your mom, especially your mom. Mom too. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call my mom after this. Dang. Mm-hmm. Uh, seriously, like pick up your phone right now and text someone you haven't spoken to in a while and say something as simple as uh, you are on my mind and I wanted to check up on you. How you been? How you mm. doing? Absolutely. Uh, with that, y'all, we <sighs> hope you enjoyed this breakdown episode of Play Black. Uh, our show can be heard wherever podcasts are available. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave yeah. a review on Apple Podcasts if you like what you heard. Uh, it's beyond helpful for us. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Play Black Podcast. DM us there to pitch things you'd like to hear us talk about. Gush about how amazing Jay is, uh, how much you love the show, and where you'd like to take Jay on uh, a first date. Where are y'all taking me? Like, you know, tell me what I gotta wear. Like, I might need to get like a new outfit or something. So, like, keep me posted. Let me know. Jay be trying out these earrings, yo. He looks dope. I'm trying one right now. Thank you. It's it's a new experience. How was it? All right. We'll meet you back here soon. See you later.